So let's talk really quickly about the uh, the idea that we have this week, where we're we're walking through, you know, offensive speech and self censorship. And we started with this this essay by this senior at UVA, Emma Camp, and she has this to say when she's talking about the issues of freedom of speech and self censorship on her campus. The consequences for saying something outside the norm can be steep. I met Stephen Wycheck at our debate club. He's an outgoing, formidable first-year debater who often stays after meetings to help clean up. He's also conservative. At UVA, where only 9% of students surveyed described themselves as a, quote, strong Republican, quote, or, quote, weak Republican, quote, that puts him in the minority. He told me that he is often, quote, straight-up lied, quote, about his beliefs to avoid conflict. Sometimes it's at a party, sometimes it's at an acapella rehearsal, and sometimes it's in the classroom. When politics comes up, quote, I just kind of go into survival mode, quote, he said. I tense up a lot more because I've got to think very carefully about how I word things. It's very anxiety-inducing. This anxiety affects not just conservatives. I spoke with Abby Sachs, a progressive fourth-year student. She said she'd experienced a, quote, pylon, quote, during a class discussion about sexism in media. She disagreed with her professor, who she said called Captain Marvel a feminist film. Miss Sachs commented that she felt the film emphasized the title character's physical strength instead of her internal conflict and emotions. She said this seemed to frustrate her professor. Her classmates noticed, quote, It was just a succession of people, one after each other, each vehemently disagreeing with me, quote, she told me. Miss Sachs felt overwhelmed, quote, Everyone adding on to each other kind of energized the room, like everyone wanted to be part of the group with the correct opinion, she said. The experience, she said, quote, made me not want to go to class again, quote. While Miss Sachs did continue to attend class, she participated less frequently. She told me that she felt as if she had become invisible. And to me, the interesting thing about that is that there are there are no serious consequences. It begins, right, the, she begins that section by talking about serious consequences for, for expressing your, your opinion, right? About how they can be steep consequences. But then she lists two people who face no such steep consequences, right? A conservative who is afraid of sharing his ideas and then a liberal person who did share her ideas and then other people disagreed with her. Where are, where are those steep consequences? They, they simply don't exist, right? They're not there. And so I find that enormously alarming. And it's not to say that cancel culture isn't a real thing. And it's not to say that we don't have to be concerned about protecting the freedom of speech because we do. It is to say, though, that this is not, this is alarmist, right? This is moral panic. This is the kind of thing that it's, it's seeking out a way to become a victim, right? No one has done anything to this person, right? But she's trying to, to, to behave like a victim. And frankly, it's selling, right? People are reading this article. Other people are responding to this article and everybody is piling on to agree because nobody wants to be the person that right now, I guess, that is siding with the, uh, I don't know, the, the woke college students, right? I, I don't know. I don't know who, who we're attacking here, really. Uh, I'm, I'm a little confused about that. Now, I do think that there are really good versions of what she says here that talk about, you know, self-censorship in ways that, that do make sense. And here is a section from an article by Sarah uh, Heppola from The Atlantic. She wrote this, The Things I'm Afraid to Write About. And I think this is actually a, a really great take on, on the same ideas, just, you know, not quite as childish. From 2015 to 2021... My private conversations were some of the best I've ever had. Taboo subjects have always been delectable, 
But suddenly, we were living in a time when so much that was once considered fair game for discussion education, biological differences, the benefits of policing, had become dangerous. Phone dates with writer friends in other parts of the country stretched to two and three hours as we worked out essays we would never write, toggling between outrage, despair, and armchair cultural analysis of the latest dust-up. Louis C.K. and Al Franken became Andrew Cuomo and Dave Chappelle. I hadn't gossiped so enthusiastically since middle school. The Me Too movement, which felt like a necessary corrective when it began, was starting to feel like an arrow pointed at our own agency. I couldn't always tell the difference between activism and protectionism, valid critique and frivolous complaint. The notion that men were the ones who needed to change, not a bad idea in my opinion, had a stubborn way of relinquishing women from the burden of their own choices and behavior. And though the area of expertise I'd staked out as a writer was the complications of women's independence and the nuances of sex, and my own personal brand was blunt honesty, I could not bring myself to say word one about these episodes in public. What was I? A rape apologist? A bigot? Some kind of moral monster? And ultimately, one of the things that she concludes in this section, or in, in this essay, is that it's up, up to her to, to voice these views, right? Yeah, she's afraid. She's afraid of, of speaking her mind, but she ought to anyway, right? It's the, the issue is not that people are going to respond negatively. The issue is her own lack of courage, and so it's time to be courageous. And in fact, some of the stuff that, that she wants to say does require some courage, like this section. Like me, the younger man had fallen in love with art because it was the place where people told the truth. I grew up reading Edgar Allan Poe, alcoholic, married his 13-year-old cousin, dancing to James Brown, domestic abuse, alleged rape, watching Woody Allen movies, is Woody Allen. Artists were the weirdos and the scoundrels, the square pegs who never fit the round hole of society, and the result was typically a bucket of addictions, perversions, and bizarre predilections born of life on the outskirts. But my cohort and I had grown up wanting it both ways a safe career, and an artistic one. We wanted the premium scotch and the bragging rights of being an outsider. But of course, what she's saying here is not that any of those behaviors are okay, but that for her, she's grown up knowing how to separate the art and the artist. Because the truth is, you don't have to be a weirdo or a criminal or an addict to be an artist. But if you live outside the norm, then you're going to meet weirdos and criminals and addicts. Okay, please don't hear me saying, by the way, in, in any of this, that I think that freedom of speech is not something that we need to defend. We absolutely do. We just need to be really careful about how we're defining freedom of speech, and I think this is probably what a better way to do speech? it. Is it the same as being able to say anything without repercussions? Oh, it depends what you mean by repercussions. So uh, if by repercussions you mean that the state can arrest you uh, and lock you up or fine you, or you can be uh, harassed threatened, intimidated, uh, pushed out of your job, then no, those are not acceptable repercussions in a liberal society. But if you mean by repercussions, criticism, ridicule, uh, that kind of thing, in other words, more speech in response to your speech, even protest in response to your speech, then uh, you, of course you have absolutely no right because when people protest against your form of speech, that they're exercising their own free speech. So that is absolutely fine as well. Yeah, I think it's actually quite simple at this point, but this is a point that is missed all the time. It's really straightforward. Uh, in, 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 a, in a liberal system, a liberal society, and this is something that, that has been completely overlooked, anyone should be able to say whatever they want, uh, and then people are able to say what they want in turn in response. And that's how, that's how it should work. 
And of course, if we're using that definition, there are some serious threats to freedom of speech, right? And some in the United States, but but in the West in general, there are some threats. Here's Rowan Atkinson, who you, if you're old enough, know him as Mr. Bean, and if not, as the voice of Zazu in the original Lion King. But here he is talking about some of his uh, some some examples of violations of freedom of speech. Uh, my starting point when it comes to the consideration of any issue relating to free speech is my passionate belief that the second most precious thing in life is the right to express yourself freely. The most precious thing in life, I think, is food in your mouth. And the third most precious is a roof over your head. But a fixture for me in the number two slot is free expression just below the need to sustain life itself. That is because I have enjoyed free expression in this country all my professional life and fully expect to continue to do so. Personally, I suspect, highly unlikely to be arrested for whatever laws exist to contain free expression because of the undoubtedly privileged position that is afforded to those of a high public profile. So my concerns are less for myself and more for those more vulnerable because of their lower profile. Like the man arrested in Oxford for calling a police horse gay. Or the teenager arrested for calling the Church of Scientology a cult. Or the cafe owner arrested for displaying passages from the Bible on a TV screen. Ultimately, there are always going to be people who want to control what you say, right? There's going to be people who want to control what you do in general. And there's this conversation happening online and and uh, you know publicly in in publications like uh, uh, the Atlantic and and the New York Times and Harper's uh, and the Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post and and a ton on Twitter and Facebook uh, about who can say what right and and what's acceptable and how can we control that speech and this is you know one of the 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 forward to 1984 that uh, George Orwell writes, this just occurred to me, so forgive the very poor transition there. Um, but the forward to 1984 got removed from the original publication because what George Orwell talked about in that forward was that there is a way of policing people with this idea of manners that is, you know, more oppressive than policing people directly with violence, right? And that a sufficiently repressed society who couldn't offend people, right, that would be you know, that that would achieve the same goal as a tyranny, right? As the Ministry of Truth in 1984, it would achieve the, the exact same goal, right? And here's Jordan Peterson talking about that same Go idea. Is being sensitive to offense such a problem though? Like we would have previously called that manners. It's a terrible problem. So imagine, you know, imagine you, okay, so the rule is you can't offend anyone, all right? Let's say you're speaking to one person, I can't offend you. All right, fair enough. What if I'm speaking to 10 people? Do I get to offend one in 10? How about one in 100? How about one in 1,000? You're gonna come out on stage and you're gonna say something important about something vital and you're not going to offend one person in 1,000? Well, you can't say anything about anything important ever without offending probably the person you're talking to. Important speech about important issues, especially contentious issues, is instantly offensive. There are ways that you can share, I guess, um, provocative views where you attempt to still do that in a, with an air of, say, respectfulness, where you're yeah. trying to mitigate against the offensiveness. This is true, yeah. You can actually try listening when you're, when you're having a conversation, right? Assuming that both people who are having the conversation are of goodwill 
and they're not trying to play tricks and they're struggling towards the truth, which neither of them hold completely and both understand that, yeah, you can reach across fairly large gaps and negotiate peace. Thank God for that or we'd be at each other's throats all the time. So I guess where this leaves us is how how do we make sure that we have uh, we are allowing ourselves to speak freely or to speak our minds to participate in in this ongoing conversation while at the same time making sure that we're not just ignoring other people and espousing immoral viewpoints right because if everybody is pushing back on what we're saying if everybody's saying hey mate that's wrong and you're being a jerk and that's you know that's not a good opinion to hold it sh- it should definitely occur to us that it's possible that what we're saying actually is immoral and wrong we shouldn't take, and I think that that oftentimes we're we're pretty guilty of this in the religious community, right? We shouldn't take resistance to what we're saying as evidence that what we're saying is true, right? It's not necessarily proof that what we're saying is wrong, but it's definitely not sufficient evidence that what we're saying is right. Like I, I said this, and then everybody got angry at me. I must be correct because they they just don't like the truth. That's not a good take. Right. That's that's a terrible take. It's really arrogant and it really dismisses a lot of people. We don't want to do that. Right. But but it does raise a very a difficult question for us. How do we know? And I don't know that I have a direct answer to that. Let me rephrase. I don't have a direct answer to that. But it is something that I think we should be thinking about. The essays quoted in this recording are by Emma Camp and Sarah Hapolo, respectively. Our definition of free speech is from controversial comedian Andrew Doyle and the ideas on manners vis-a-vis Jordan Peterson from an interview by Lee Sales for ABC. I'm Graham Vickery. You've been listening to Essay, the podcast where I host my lectures for my English classes. If you have any questions about writing you'd like answered, please leave a comment or shoot me an email at wvickery at point.edu. That's W-V-I-C-K-E-R-Y at point.edu. Thanks.